You're listening to the Fashion Your Passion podcast. My name is Sammy Reyes, and as a college student and entrepreneur, I'm always looking for a little more passion in my life. On this podcast, my guests and I will teach you the tools to help you fashion your passion. Let's get to it. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm super excited that you decided to tune in this week. We are back and better than ever. I definitely did not expect for the podcast to go on a break as long as it did. I was trying to get it out each month, but as some of you may know, there is a lot that goes on behind producing a podcast and I just didn't allot enough time to do that. But we're here now. It is the beginning of February and I am excited and ready for 2022. January has been a month, but I'm excited that February is now here and we are rolling in and going on with life. Not much has been happening in my life. I've just been going on with school and really getting back into the fact that like I need to put my best foot forward there. And in my job, I've just same mentality is just putting my best foot forward and doing as much as I can in the time that I have and with the energy that I have. I did get COVID the beginning of January. So that was a whole situation in and of itself. And I'm so glad that is behind me. I really don't know how I got it, but it wasn't too, too bad. I just was so tired the entire time and I literally had zero energy. So I'm glad my energy is back and I'm ready to rock and roll. I have big plans for sort of like the fashion your passion movement, but also for stuff for Sammy Beatrice down the line. I'm really leaning more into my calling and exactly what I want to do rather than the things that are easy and the things that I could just that are more busy work than anything else. I hope you guys are doing well. I am excited for you guys to listen to this week's episode with Chris Templeton. He has a really interesting method and way of going about how to communicate with yourself and others. And it was really interesting for me to find out and then afterwards apply in my own life. And it's been really beneficial. So I'm hoping you find it to be also beneficial. And I am excited for you to let me know what you think. As always, be sure to write a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. And I think uh, Spotify, they always mean so much to me and I love to read them. And if you write a rating and review, you can get featured on our Instagram at fashion, you are letters, you are passion. And also be sure to follow me on Instagram, sammy.bea, sammy.b. And let's get into the interview. This week, we have entrepreneur, founder, and just, I would say, thought leader, really, Chris Templeton. And he's here to talk to us really about how we communicate with ourselves and with others and how this affects your life as a whole. So Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, Sammy. Thank you so much for having me. I totally appreciate being here. And I'm excited to hear what your audience thinks about this, because I typically do, you know, people further along than in college and high school. But I think this has such potential to help kids with what I'm doing. And I, I really hope they find resonance with it. 
just to start out, can you tell my listeners a little bit more about yourself, sort of, you know, what you do and who you are? So I'm 61. I'm an old guy now, but young at heart. And for as long as I can remember, I've always wondered why, especially growing up as a kid, why kids behave the way they do. Why did the boys like to pull the girl's hair? Because I had no sense of wanting. And I finally understood that it was more, (laughs) there's a whole lot more going on than just a boy pulling a girl's hair. But, you know, those kinds of things have always fascinated me. I've always been fascinated by how people behave with each other and also kind of how I perceive my world. So I've been in online marketing for about... 20 years. And in 2003, read a book called The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. And it's a kind of a spiritual thing. And he talks about how important it is to be in the moment. And one of the things that really hit me right out the gate was he said something along the lines of, we are all really, really good at driving ourselves crazy. I was like, what? My craziness isn't because of me, it's because of what's going on around me and, you know, my family and whatever, but I sure couldn't have been me. (laughs) And as I continued to read it, like, oh man, yeah, I do do that. Oh, I do that too. So at some point, what I realized, and I think he even uses the word stories, that, you know, we're all running around telling stories about what's going on within us and around us. And when you recognize that a story is editable and that I can edit a story, then all of a sudden I have all kinds of agency in my life to begin to mold those, to fashion those stories in a way that serves me. And so I've been playing with this since 2003, and I've raised three kids almost all of that time. And had a, a have a wife of who we've been together for 31 years and what i found was coming up with these three questions and model completely changed how i operated in the world and the thing that was nice about it was the way that i operate now for the most part there's still some areas that i struggle with but in general i find my life to be incredibly meaningful loaded with purpose and through this work that I've done, I'm super passionate. And so my goal is to help people to have a really simple and straightforward way to begin to develop that in their lives. And frankly, when you think about middle school is kind of this time where all of a sudden we're going through all these changes and we're very nervous about how we're perceived and how we behave. And am I, you know, all those things start to come up. And this is a really good antidote to that kind of craziness that's super hormone driven and that sort of thing. But it has a tendency to stick if we don't do anything about it. Right. And so that's why I'm excited about your audience and being able to share this, because I think it's something that people can walk away with and go, oh, I frame it up as this is like putting on a clear pair of glasses instead of rose colored glasses. This is not about positive thinking but also about taking off the shades that kind of darken and put a cloud over us. So there's the long answer. (laughs) I love that. And I think it's so sort of pertinent for college students, for us as college students, because when we like go into college, we have this mindset of like, okay, 
the way that I'm going to reach that meaningful life, that passionate life is by getting this degree and then maybe going to grad school and then getting that job and, you know, moving up in that ladder or whatever that looks like for them. That's how I'm going to find that. But then people do research like you have and other people like that. And it shows that that's really not all it is. There's so many other pieces to that, which is, again, why I'm so excited about this podcast today. And I think that it just, because I think for me personally, at least, that's sort of like where I'm at right now is realizing that sort of work and like having a meaningful life can be two separate roads if you want them to be. It doesn't have to be one straight road and, you know, and you could sort of travel both at the same time. But I want to, before we go into anything else, I would love for you to sort of share a quote with us and maybe it's your favorite or something like that, that really can exemplify this idea that you have. So during World War II, there's a guy named Viktor Frankl, who was a psychiatrist and ended up in the concentration camps during World War II. And he somehow, I don't think he was able to get to passion, but I think he was able to retain meaning in his life through the most brutal of conditions, things that we can't even imagine, not well-fed, treated like I'm less than, I'm, I'm vermin, I'm garbage, that sort of thing. And watching people emaciated, people who give up on life and who die. And somehow through all of that, he was able to retain meaning in his life. Doesn't mean he was happy, but he felt that connection to life and wanting to live. Things from really awful to somebody saving a piece of bread for somebody who really needed it and seeing those acts of compassion. So anyway, he ended up becoming a very famous psychiatrist and wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And the quote is three sentences, and it goes like this. Between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and freedom. In our response lies our growth and freedom. So basically what he's saying is, you know, you've got stimulus on one side and typically you want to create space. But so often the way that we behave is by default. And somebody misbehaves and I, if I'm a parent, I, my kid spills milk, I probably go right to anger. Oh my God, what were you doing? Stop, blah, 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 whatever, that kind of thing. And so what I want to do and what this work is all about is to help people to create space between that stimulus. What was my teacher thinking? How come Mary didn't do this? What is up with my parents? And having a default reaction to having space to really find out, to be curious, to find out how to move forward in a way that serves us. So between stimulus and response, there's a space, and that space is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and freedom. It's where our passion lives. It's where meaning lives. When we have more space between a stimulus and how I respond, life is a whole different ball of wax. It's very similar to that idea of like, you know, they always teach us like, oh, like when you're angry, like cool off before you do anything. And it's that same idea of like, we need to wait it out until A, you have all the information or B, you know, you are just in a better headspace to deal with anything that you're dealing with, you know? And I think that that transitions beautifully into the model that you've created, you know, and I want you to go into that, tell us all about it. 
how it works, how you developed it, the whole nine yards. Yeah, I'm super excited for my listeners to hear about it. So what I came up with were three questions is kind of where this started in 2003. The questions, there are three of them. And the first question is, what's the story I'm telling? Like something is bugging me and I want people's first response to themselves to be, gee, what's the story I'm telling? And again, story from the standpoint that it's editable, that I've, it kind of lets me be a little more objective about my thinking. So what's the story? And is anything that I'm thinking or visualizing in my head about myself or about the world around me? What's the story I'm telling? Second question is, does this story serve me in this moment, in this moment, in this moment? I don't care if it was behavior that you had as a kid in high school with friends. If I had adversity in my life, one of the ways that I handle that is creating stories that help me to negotiate that and move through the world. But what happens is we have a tendency to see similar stimulus and have responses now, that same response, but it doesn't serve us. Or our parents, we see the same kind of stimulus where they responded badly, and we all have examples of our parents behaving badly, but those stimuli, when I feel something similar to that, I also have a tendency to respond the way that I saw mom and dad do it. And so looking at right here and now, is this serving me? Is what I'm thinking serving me is really important. And then the third question is, if it's not serving me, is there a more authentic story I can tell? And this really helps to move us from a place of, I just need to be right and, and judge you and, and I, you're right and I, I'm right and you're wrong, blah, 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 and get to a place where we're more willing to take a look at the big picture. What's your story about this? What's going on? You know, it can be a boss, a child, a parent, a friend. When I have this tendency to automatically respond by default, what I'm doing is I'm not taking the time to get the full picture. And think about when we were in middle school and high school, we thought we knew exactly what they were thinking and, oh, I can't believe they did. And it was all drama laden. And what happens is those kinds of responses that were really appropriate in middle school and high school and even college aren't appropriate anymore. And it's not because they were wrong, but it just doesn't move me in a direction that I want. And I think this is so important, taking a step back and looking at fashion your passion. I can fashion a whole world better passion when I have lots of space between stimulus and response. So that's the basics of the three questions. I just want to get more space so that I have the chance to really respond to whatever I'm dealing with personally or around me in a way that serves me. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. And I think it's, you know, especially for like college students, like we are always making new friends and like we are living with people sometimes who we've never lived with before. And it's like issues arise, problems arise. But the way in which you sort of solve those problems in the best way possible is understanding where everyone's coming from. You know, it's not saying this is the right way and then trying to impose that on someone else. It's understanding each other or if there's multiple people, everyone, and really saying how can we initiate a compromise? How can we sort of 
get somewhere where we all agree. And so I think this model and this way of this process, I would say, really, is so suitable for college students. And I think that it's something that we don't recognize enough. I know from my research, and you know, you can talk a little bit more about this, but you read Eckhart Tolle's book, you watched a TED Talk, and that's sort of how this model developed. But was there sort of a situation in your life or some sort of thing you saw and you were like, this is why this model needs to be created for? Well, I did not intend to create the model or the questions. But what was fascinating is I just couldn't get this thought process out of my head. And it just, and what I started finding was that when I applied what I had been working on, just kind of in the back of my mind, it made working with clients easier. It made working with coworkers easier. It did all these things that I kind of didn't even realize that I was influencing because I knew what was going to be what, and I understood why you were be. I thought I understood. I had a guy, a vendor say to me, I know exactly what you're thinking. Oh, baby, that, that couldn't be any further from the truth. Right. And so I guess it wasn't any one specific thing, but all of a sudden I was better at listening to my wife. I didn't get angry with my kids as much. I could take a step back and go, wait a minute. I remember helping my boy in high school. He came, he had a senior project that he had to do, and he was going to build a woodshed in the backyard. And he came up to us one day and he said, you know, you don't mind if I don't walk the stage for graduation, do you? <laughs> and we're like, you're building the shed. <laughs> you're doing your project. And so I ended up helping him with that. And at one point I'm getting really spun up and I'm getting, I'm locking down and I'm getting cranky and I know he can feel my vibe, right? It's not a good place to be. And all of a sudden I realized no space between stimulus and response. Here's Things just not quite going the way that I expected them to go. And, you know, any of these projects are always harder than you expect them to be. And then responding, uh, like my dad. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, Mac, I am so sorry that I'm behaving this way. And I want you to understand that the reason I fell into this was because this is exactly how my dad used to behave in a situation like this. And I apologize. Like, how huge is that for a kid, let alone a dad, to go, oh my God, look at what I'm doing by default. So it was a series of things that, you know, kind of all added up and really kept the momentum of this, of this model going. You sharing your story is so powerful on how this model works and how it can be executed. But I think there are some of my listeners, most likely, obviously I'm predicting, that are saying, you know, yes, these three questions are great. Yes, this whole process is great. But they're like, X isn't going to work for me or Y is not going to work for me because of, and they go through the whole laundry list of reasons why. What barriers have you seen for yourself when going through this process in different situations? What barriers have you seen for clients who have done it or whatnot? And sort of how do you think that people can go or sort of move past those barriers, if any at all? It's a great question. If we go back to this idea of living by default, where I don't have space between stimulus and response, what the biggest barrier just hands down is our default thinking. Like, well, no, that's just the way it is. Like any time that my response is, no, that's just the way it is, we got a problem because 
that ain't the way it is. There's always a broader story. When we think that our perspective is wrong or that our perspective is right and everybody else is wrong, that's a huge indicator that we've got a problem and a barrier that we need to work on. So the primary thing, the primary barrier is me. And so one of the things that's really important in this is this idea, the concept that I want everybody to look at their life as practice. What? I want you to spend the rest of your life practicing to be better, to be a better version of yourself. So the thing that's important about practice is it kind of takes the pressure off too, doesn't it? Because practice assumes that I'm going to fall down here and there and that I'm going to have to get up and that sort of thing. And so that's the number one thing. The other thing that we should talk about is just the rest of the model. And so let me just run through a couple of things because it'll help people to conceptualize this better. If you were to take a piece of eight and a half by 11 paper and turn it sideways so it was landscape, and on the left side of the paper, write the top left side, question one, what's the story I'm telling? Middle left side, is it serving me in this moment? Bottom left side, is there a more authentic story I can tell? If we go back to question two, is this story serving me in this moment? I can draw a horizontal line across the page. And what happens is because the second question is binary, it's a yes or no answer. You'll notice one of the things that we haven't talked much about is none of the questions have to do with is emotion. It's usually emotion that triggers us to ask the question, but this is not, hey, how are you feeling? Oh, I'm so angry. Like when we're, um, when we look at things from an emotional standpoint, we have a tendency to see those things as being fixed. Like, well, that's, I'm, I'm angry. What, what else is there? When you ask the question, is this story serving me? Is my anger serving me in this moment? It's a yes or no answer. So I say, if it's not serving you, it goes above the line. And we call that little me land. That's where I'm my cranky self where I'm not very happy with what's going on. So that's above the line. There's two ways to answer this question. What do you mean is it serving me? Of course it is. Above the line thinking. You know, I think it's serving me, but I'm not sure. Let me think about it a little bit. I know more space between stimulus and response. That's below the line, and I call that authentic me. So the thing is, when you think about fashion your passion, Fashioning my passion above the line is a very, very difficult thing to do because I'm really kind of out of my element anyway. I'm in cranky mode. I'm fear-based. I'm problem-oriented. I feel like a victim. I feel powerless. But when I take any story, and it's harder for some stories than others, and craft those into authentic stories, all of a sudden, whew, I'm open. I'm more allowing. I feel more grounded. So the whole idea and the reason I wanted to kind of cover this, this is that when you think about all I want for people to do is to learn how to spend more time below the line. I'm never, ever saying, hey, just don't go above the line because that is never going to happen until the day you die. There are going to be times that you go above the line. But the question is, do you use that as a jumping off point? What's this, creating that space between stimulus and response? Or am I just behaving by default and not serving myself? So little me above the line, authentic me below the line. And then there's an, another level, which I call enlightened me, where flow happens. It's when I flow being 
when I work on a project and all of a sudden, how did three hours just go by? That's flow when I'm brand newly in love and it doesn't matter what's going on in the world. For me, everything's perfect with me and my partner. That's flow and that's also enlightened me land. So those are the three levels. But what I want to help people to do is to have the ability for themselves. Like this is the beauty of this is that it's not, you know, hey, follow me. I'll show you the way. No, when you incorporate this model into your life, you get to show yourself your authentic way. Oh, it's such a change and such a fabulous thing when all of a sudden I'm letting go of that drama and I'm giving myself a break, right? Think about how we beat ourselves up on a regular basis. Somebody said, yeah, the inner bully. (laughs) We'll talk about that too, but making sense? Absolutely. And that was my next question was, we've touched a little bit on this model working for interactions with others, those stories that could build up when we do that. But how does this work in sort of like an interpersonal way where it's like you against you or you with you? Are you saying that there are those of us that struggle with ourselves? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So, yeah, and we're always going to. But the question is, is how much? Like, there's always going to be a part of you. And let's talk about that. Above the line, the part of us that's telling the story, I call the protector. Protector with a capital P. This part of us is super, super important. It's also the part of us that's referred to as the inner bully, the inner critic. My ego is a big one. And what I'm here to do, one of the main things is to help people stop thinking that their ego is the enemy. If you look at this protector and you say his job, he's hardwired in every single one of us. This is where fight or flight or freeze response comes from. And it's just this part of us that used to be really good at keeping us safe from lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, right? But now, like, we don't have any of those to deal with, but my friend in school and my teacher and my parents. So now this protector is in there. And that thing that's the worst, toughest about the protector is we let the protector say things that we would never, ever let anybody say to us to our face, like the things that go on in our head. And what I want people to know, especially school age people, is this is when it's kind of at its height and we don't recognize that it's there. But when we take the time to go, oh, there's that little piece of me that's, whether it's through thinking or through pictures, is berating us. It's judging myself or others. I'm either building myself up on somebody else's back through judgment, or I'm taking myself down 10 notches because, oh, if I could only be like that person, that is all the protector. But here's what's really, really important to keep in mind. The protector is a benevolent little part of us. And it really, truly, all it wants to do is to keep us safe. So think about in college, you're procrastinating. You know, people say, oh, I'm so lazy. I'm procrastinating. That is all little me. That's all little me land. It's all the protector. And what we don't recognize is how much 
energy we use up being in a place where we're procrastinating and not getting something done. That's all the protector. But when we go and say, you know what, what's the protector trying to protect me from? Well, you know, that's an awfully big project and it's going to be a lot of work and I don't know how we're going to get through it, right? And when we listen to them, I like the analogy of being in an airport and I've just been had a flight canceled and I go up to the counter agent and I am fuming mad, right? And what's the counter agent do? They zip it. And they wait for me to just dump on them. I can't believe this airline. What are you guys? Blah, blah, blah. And at some point, that's all the protector, right? Out loud. And at some point, (laughs) all the air is out of the balloon. And then the counter agent says, let's see what we can do. I am really sorry that this is where you're at, like honors the protector. And we need to do the same thing with ourselves. When we recognize that living by default is letting the protector loose and not talking them down and creating that space between stimulus and response. And one of the protector's greatest skills is at telling us that we're doing it wrong, but but it's the protector that's telling us that. So it becomes this circular thing. So when we, when we look at that protector and say, hey, dude, what is going on? Why are you so worked up? And you give them unfettered access to say whatever they need to say. There's a book called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. And what she talks about in one part of it is writing like you can't and journaling like you can't get it wrong. Whatever you write is okay. And that can be a fabulous way to kind of let the protector and let him out, her out in their glory. Like drop an F-bomb. You're the dumbest thing ever. Like let it have a voice. Because just like at the counter, the minute that I do that, now the protector feels honored. He feels like, okay, you've heard me. I can step down now. And then we can figure out kind of what the next step is by creating a more authentic story. Long explanation, but that's a big piece of how I take this work and get myself to a place where I'm more authentic, where all those things that we want in life live, meaning, purpose, passion. The one question that I sort of have running through my mind as you're saying this and as I'm trying to continue, you know, to wrap my head around the process you've developed is the idea of those with anxiety disorders or some sort of way where it's like it's not quote unquote, like their fault that they're, you know, telling themselves these stories or like, you know, they have these constant like thoughts running through their head. They're just like things never stop up there. Like how, if it does at all, I'm, you know, I mean, you're the expert with this, but does the process look different? Does this model look different? Is it executed differently? Just because we talk about mental health a lot in this podcast. So I wanted to, I didn't want to end this interview without bringing it up. And I would love to hear your opinion on this. I'd be happy to. And, and, And let me just say a couple of things just to preface what I'm about to say. First of all, I am not a therapist. I'm not a psychologist, psychiatrist. I'm not any kind of a mental health professional. This is all about common sense for the most part. But what's really wonderful about this is that almost all of it can be grounded in psychology, in neuroscience, that sort of thing. And so one of the things that comes up is what's called neuroplasticity, which is basically the ability for the brain to rewire itself. So an emerging field, and what they're finding is when they take a schizophrenic, as an example, and have them practice a different story, 
And here's the thing. I think I mentioned it earlier. This is not about positive thinking. Like, I want you to acknowledge the crappy thinking that you have. I don't want you to push away because what resists persists. And up in Little Me Land, we are really good at taking something and making it so much worse than it needs to be. So for somebody that's got an anxiety disorder or depression, those sorts of things, look, I'm not saying for one millisecond that Therapy shouldn't be a part of what you do to help yourself. But what I want is if you think about having this model as part of your thinking, I can at least say, you know what? I've got an anxiety disorder and I'm super uptight about washing my hands or whatever the case may be. And I know through this model that that's my protector just working overtime to protect me. And when you recognize that that's the case, it doesn't solve the problem. You still may need to be on medication. You still should go to therapy or whatever the case may be. But it gives you a way to understand why I'm behaving the way I am within myself. And so, Sammy, if I could get one thing done, I would love for every psychologist, psychiatrist, MSFW, everybody to be able to share this model and go, look, here's what's going on, dude. You're up in little me land. Your brain is going hundred miles an hour and, and people say, and here's an important one. Well, you know, a lot of that's neurochemical. I'm not denying that. I'm not denying that for a second. That's why medication may be really important for you. But when I can see where I fit in this model and you know, the beauty of this is that it's, it's prescriptive and it's on its own, right? I know that where I want to do, where I want to be is below that line in an authentic place. So I'm more open to practicing because when we're having an anxiety disorder, as an example, we're really trying to push away exactly what we're focused on. And so when I recognize that, hey, there's this model that I can look at where I am in any given moment and go, oh, you know what? I'm and look at it as practice. I'm going to see if I can practice myself down a little bit. Remember that when I my emotions change, my neurochemistry changes as well immediately. So I think that the point is this: this isn't going to cure you, but it's sure going to give you a way to look at moving in a direction that you want to move. Like there's nobody that has an anxiety disorder that doesn't want to be below that line in authentic, their authentic self. And so when I recognize that and I have the benefit of this model, I can say, geez, is this thinking serving me right this very minute? Like, do I need to wash my hands right now? Well, I understand that the protector wants me to, but you know, maybe I don't need to do that. That's kind of the, my sense in, when it comes to mental health. And this is all about that in a, a super simple, approachable way that makes sense. Yeah, no, and I definitely agree. And I think that just for me, like I coming from being in years of therapy and doing all the things like that's why I brought the question for and that sort of I, you know, sort of agree with everything you're saying because it just it. Yes, it makes sense. But I knew if I left it out, I would have people be like, oh, like what if, you know, and so I wanted to make sure I covered all of my bases. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a really important question. It's really important. And I, I'm glad that you asked it. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I have been loving, loving, loving this conversation. I think there is so much more to go into. If we had the time, obviously, we'd be talking about this for hours. It sort of incorporates literally everything that I'm passionate about. 
But I want to roll into the final question once and for all. This is a question that I've asked every single guest who has ever been on the podcast. And that's based off of the title of this podcast. What is one tip that you would give those who are currently dreaming based off of how you have fashioned your passion? For your audience, I'm going to go with this. Everything that you want to figure out truly is within you. You know, I talked very briefly about this place of flow and enlightened me. When we practice ourselves to be more in an authentic place, we also are way more likely to go into an enlightened place of flow where, you know, if you listen to any, any artist, they'll say, you know, songs just kind of, I'm just like the vehicle. They just come from some other place. And so it doesn't mean that you won't need to go to therapy or go to get a degree, but when you're in an authentic place, when I can practice myself into authenticity more often, I also have access to this deeper, you know, I don't care if you call it God, the universe, infinite intelligence, that little light of yours is all about that, where you've come from or what the source of that is. And you always have access to it once I get below the line. And so know that you are more capable than your protector will ever let you believe, but that's a good place to start. I love that so much. Where can people find out more about this model you've come up with, the process, and just more about you? I'll give you three places. I'm on Facebook. I'm not great on Facebook, but... (laughs) I'm getting there. You can find me at ohthestorieswetell.com. And also, if you search for Oh, The Stories We Tell on YouTube, this little thought bubble will come up with orange writing that says, Oh, The Stories We Tell. Click on that and go to the Honesty Project playlist. It's something that a friend of mine and I have been working on for about a year and a half. She had a very rough upbringing, lots of craziness, and it's kind of carried in certain parts of her life. And so she came to me, I told her about this model about eight years ago, and she came to me in February of 2020 and said, hey, you know, I've been thinking about this, and I think that I could bring you problems, and we could talk about how to work them through in the model. So it's everything from feeling less than to relationships to crappy coworkers. So I'd encourage people there about 14 of those videos, including a review of the model. It's a great place to go. So those three ought to do it. And I'm always available on Facebook. You can always message me. And I just want to help people to have more passionate lives, to fashion their passion in a way that's super authentic. Yes, absolutely. And again, for those who are listening, all those links will be down below. Chris, thank you so much for coming on and talking about this. I am super excited for my listeners to let us know what they thought of it. And for those who are listening, I will talk to you guys next week.